This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. As usual, there's a lot to talk about, but uh, the first thing I want to talk about is some very disturbing information that I have received out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where I went to college, where I practiced law for 37 years, and where I was a head of the biggest Boy Scout troop in Louisiana for years, and have many friends down there, and some relatives, including my oldest daughter, and she was not personally affected by the floods, as she lives in an apartment on the second story, but almost all of our other friends and relatives were affected. Some of them lost everything. So this weekend, uh, we went to Ruston, Louisiana, and met my primarily to see my new grandbaby, uh, that my youngest son, the Black Hawk pilot and captain in the U.S. Army National Guard, and who works there full-time, he and, uh, his wife lived there. So we went over to see the grandbaby and knew, knew my oldest daughter was going to come up from Baton Rouge. And so we brought boxes, everything we could fit into our car. We bought boxes of clothing. Uh, we went out and bought a bunch of toys. Uh, for children who have probably lost all their toys in Baton Rouge. And we met her, and she was very grateful for it. Also gave her some money, because I knew she was going to go out and spend the money to buy clothing for people that needed it. And I heard from her and from other people that I've, I've talked to over the last few days some real horror stories about what's going on in Louisiana. Not just the horror of the flooding, which has virtually been ignored by the national news media. You know, it doesn't doesn't fit the political agenda. There's been no looting of any consequence. There's been no racial divide in Baton Rouge during this crisis. People have just rolled up their sleeves and they've worked together. Regardless of race, regardless of religion, they have worked together. And so... The national news media's got no interest in that sort of thing, you know, praising Americans, showing Americans who are going out and taking care of each other. But that's not part of the narrative uh, that they want to be talking about. So they virtually ignored it, despite the fact that the latest estimate is that 175,000 homes in and around the Baton Rouge area, we're talking about about 19 parishes here, and Louisiana, they have parishes instead of counties, in about 19 parishes, there has been major, major flood damage. 175,000 homes have either been destroyed or severely damaged. There are thousands of people that are homeless. And there are people out there that are trying to help. The Salvation Army, for example, has gotten heavily involved. Uh, Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's charity, has been heavily involved in For the most part, it's been a lot of local people. What's happened, though, is that the American Red Cross is decided to become a politically correct organization, and they are more concerned with policing the shelters they are running to make sure that nobody's praying in those shelters, to make sure that nobody's reading the Bible in those shelters, than they are in helping the people. In fact, they have something they call contract partners that are the only people that can donate food and clothing to them. 
Now, I have not been able to get a clear definition of what's a contract partner. Is this somebody that gives the American Red Cross money? Is this some some vendor that they pay? What, what's a contract partner? I don't know. All I know is that I have eyewitness accounts of items of clothing being donated by the people of Baton Rouge and surrounding areas. And I'm not talking about just a few items. I'm talk, talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of items of clothing and food, boxes of canned food and meals being cooked by local restaurants that are not, were not underwater and that food being brought to American Red Cross shelters and collection points and being discarded. Eyewitnesses who have seen a lot of clothing being thrown in trash bins and when asked about it, they say, well, we don't accept anything not donated by our partners. Well, if you're not going to accept it, don't accept it. Let them take it somewhere else. Don't take it and then throw it in the trash can. If that's what's been going on. And it got to the point where my daughter and a friend of hers, who had gone to the Red Cross to try to donate clothing, and saw what was happening, saw the, the piles of clothing in the trash, they went out and they spent their own money buying new clothes for people who literally had nothing. I mean, there were people at the Red Cross trying to get clothing who were soaking wet, and all the clothes they had were what's on their backs because these waters rode, rose so fast that a lot of people only had time to get themselves and their children out of the floodwaters by wading out. They had no chance to bring anything with them. And in some cases, it'll be days before they can get back into their homes and they won't find anything usable when they do. So these were people who had no place to go and were standing there in wet clothing and the Red Cross was not giving them clothing. It was throwing away clothing. And when people were showing up with meals, sometimes hundreds of meals that had been cooked by local restaurants or local individuals, to be handed out, the Red Cross was turning them away. And then we have the horror stories in the shelters themselves. One report came from a police officer in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is about 50 miles west of Baton Rouge. And they had some flooding in that area, and he had gone. He was off duty, still in uniform. He had taken his Bible and gone to one of the shelters to pray with people who were there, who had lost everything, to pray with them and try to provide them with comfort. Red Cross volunteers, or maybe they were professionals who were running the, the shelter, ordered him to leave and said that because of diversity and because of political correctness, they couldn't allow him to pray with individuals. And this was voluntary. You know, He wasn't telling anybody, you have to sit down and pray with me you have to sit down and read the Bible with me. He was doing it for people that actually wanted and needed his comfort. And he was ordered to leave the shelter and told he could only come back in the shelter. Number one, he agreed not to pray with anybody. And number two, he did not bring his Bible. But that's not the worst of it. And I think it was in Albany, Louisiana, where I heard the worst story. And that is a shelter there was established in a church. And a lot, of, a lot of churches, local churches, became shelters overnight. 
and some of them were run by the church people themselves, and others were run by the Salvation Army. But this one was run by the Red Cross. And the people in this church, some were members of the church, some were not. But a lot of them had brought their, one of the few belongings they had that they made it out with was the family Bible. And they were sitting there reading their Bible, and this is more than one family I'm talking about here, or they were praying together, or in some cases they weren't even reading the Bible out loud. They were just laying on the cot that they'd been assigned to, reading the Bible to themselves. And the Red Cross officials came in and told them that they could not do that, that they had to put away their Bibles, that they were not allowed to pray, even to themselves, really. They were not allowed to read the Bible, even to themselves, and they had to put the Bibles away. And they were told if they didn't do that, they had to leave the shelter. A lot of people left the shelter because they weren't allowed to practice their religion. Again, it was political correctness, the reason the Red Cross did this. And that was the explanation they give, that they wanted to promote diversity. And there might be somebody in the shelter that objected to seeing a, a Christian Bible. They didn't say actually somebody had actually objected to it, that, but there might be somebody that down the road would object to it. So families who had no place to go, had virtually no belongings, were forced to leave the shelter. We don't know what happened to those families. We don't know how where they ended up. And this was in a church where the minister of the church had objected to what the Red Cross was doing. It's like, this is a church. People come here to pray. They come here to read the Bible. They come here to worship God. You're telling them that they cannot do it as long as the Red Cross is running the shelter. Well, the bottom line is, I haven't given to the Red Cross in years, because I objected, frankly, to the idea that the head of the Red Cross should make well over six figures, actually seven figures in salaries, and, and underlings could make over six figures in salaries, and that money was not going to the people who needed it. And this goes back a long way. My dad was in World War II. Many of you have purchased the book I've written about his unit, The Mortarman, which has become a big seller over the years on Amazon and other places. And many of you have purchased that book and read it, and it talks about his experiences in World War II and the experiences of his unit, which landed on the second wave at Utah Beach on D-Day, and was in combat for 326 straight days. The Battle of the Bulge, the Battle of the Hurricane Forest, you name it, they were involved in it. And one of the things I don't mention in the book is the Red Cross. Now, we see images, these are iconic images, of Red Cross volunteers handing out coffee and donuts to soldiers who are about to board the trains that are going to take them to the ports where they're going to be disembarking uh, to go to England or to some other country that was being used as a staging area for the invasion of Europe, or they were departing to go to Australia or into the Pacific somewhere. 
Yeah, these are the iconic images you see of the Red Cross volunteers wearing their Red Cross insignia, handing out coffee and donuts to these soldiers. Everybody assumed I was one of those growing up that this was being done for free. My father told me, in reality, the Red Cross was charging the soldiers for the coffee and donuts. They were having to pay for this. That's why he had no use for the American Red Cross. So it's the American Red Cross that was doing this. Let's differentiate between the American Red Cross and the International Red Cross. The International Red Cross was supplying packages to POWs that were held by the Germans and the Japanese when they, they could get them to the to the POW camps and when they weren't being stolen by the, the guards. The Japanese particular, were particularly bad about not letting any of those packages get through. But that was the International Red Cross, and they weren't charging anybody for these packages. But the American Red Cross, if you wanted a cup of coffee and a donut from the American Red Cross and you were wearing the uniform of a soldier or sailor or marine or airman of the United States of America, you had to pay. So that's why I don't give any money to the American Red Cross. And that's why that I have a lot of trouble with some other things that, are going to, that went on in Louisiana. And I'll talk more about those after this break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. I said after the break we would talk about some other things in Louisiana, and these are just about as scary as what the Red Cross is doing, perhaps even scarier, and that is that the people of Louisiana, the Baton Rouge area, and surrounding parishes reacted extremely, with extreme bravery and caring to what was happening around them. The 
national news media covered the riots or protests in, in Baton Rouge following the shooting of the so-called innocent black man. And then, of course, there was the ambush and murder of three Baton Rouge police officers. According to the people I've talked to in Baton Rouge, the people who were, there were some people who were protesting peacefully about the shooting of the, uh, the black man who supposedly was unarmed, but it turned out he was armed after all. He didn't have a firearm on him. But the actual rioting that was being done, uh, the throwing of bottles and rocks and uh, even Molotov cocktails in some cases at the police, that was all done by outside agitators from Black Lives Matter. They came in from other states to try to exploit the situation. Well, Baton, all the demonstrations stopped after the three police officers were gunned down and killed and four others were wounded. And the community was coming together. And then the floods came. And that's when the community really came together. There was no differentiation made between rescuing a black family, Hispanic family, white family. The rescues were being done. And they were being done by the Coast Guard and by state and local authorities. But they were overwhelmed. So on social media, a group of fishermen, hunters, boaters, organized what they call the Cajun Navy. And they went out and started rescuing people. And in the case of Livingston Parish, for example, which is right outside of Baton Rouge, which is one of the hardest city areas, at first the sheriff resisted the idea of civilians doing this because they might not know what they were doing and get in trouble. But then when all of a sudden they, they realized they were 150 rescues behind what they needed to be making, that there were people that were going to drown, there were people who were going to die. He relented and allowed the Cajun Navy to go forward. They did this in all the parishes. They saved hundreds, perhaps thousands of lives. The death toll was 13 from the flooding. It could have been much, much higher in the hundreds if it wasn't for these civilians who went out and on their own rescue their, their neighbors. Now, in some cases, some of the people who were doing the rescuing had been rescued themselves. They had lost their homes. Their homes were flooded. But they joined with people who had boats, or if they had boats themselves, they took them out to rescue their neighbors who had not yet gotten out of harm's way. This was what the people of Louisiana did. This is what I saw when I lived there. As we went through some flooding and we went through some hurricanes. And this is the way the people worked. Now, how does the government work? Well, we have, they have a Democratic governor. And they have politicians. Most of the state, they have two Republican senators. So the state is pretty mixed. And the state government started looking into requiring these rescuers 
to get a permit to go out and save people's lives, a permit they had to pay for. And I said, well, it would be a $50 fee. So here you have people who are going out and using their own boats and supplying their own food or fuel, I should say, in some cases taking food with them to give to people that they have the food they purchase themselves or cook themselves. And the state government wants to charge them $50 per person to be involved in saving their fellow citizens. Now, how's that for a microcosm about how government works in this country? People were dying in Louisiana. People were losing everything they had. And the state government, and by the way, the guy that came up with this original idea was a Republican state senator. They're looking to see, well, how can the state make money off of this? How can we get more money, taxpayer money in the coffers of the state to spend on other projects, on our pet projects? How can we get, we use this to our advantage? Well, the vast majority of the people of Louisiana were restaurants were making meals. Businesses that had not been flooded were taking people in to their businesses. They were giving out food. They were giving out clothes. They were doing everything they could to help people. Other people were going out and rescuing people that were trapped in their homes by the rising waters. And some of your state government officials are trying to figure out how the state could make money off of these people. That's pretty sick. Meanwhile, what did the federal government do? Well, Obama was playing golf, so he didn't really have time to fool with this. I mean, he's on vacation. You know, this is a state that's a red state anyway that never voted for him for president. Hillary Clinton looked at it and said, well, they're not going to vote for me, so I'm not going down there. I don't care about these people. They can all drown as far as I'm concerned. So... Obama didn't do anything except send the director of Homeland Security into the state, who basically hung around a little while and didn't do much of anything either. Uh, FEMA apparently did react fairly well this time and got down there and started taking claims. There were over 100,000 people have asked for help for FEMA because the most of the people who were affected did not have flood insurance because, according to the maps provided by the federal government, they were not in the floodplain areas, so they didn't have to have insurance. The maps did not take into account all the infrastructure that had been built in the area after Hurricane Katrina when so many people had fled to this area of the state, uh, work on the interstates and work on roads and bridges and this sort of thing that trapped a lot of this water and kept it from draining the way it would have a few years ago. So you had FEMA trying to help people, and that was basically what the federal government was doing. The Red Cross was out in force, not the Red Cross, the Coast Guard. The Red Cross was out in force trying to make money for itself. The Coast Guard was out in force rescuing people. The Louisiana National Guard, as they have always done, 
did a magnificent job in rescuing people and helping provide people with, with shelter. And the people of Louisiana came together. Obama, nah, not so much. He took the opportunity, but he did visit Louisiana for a couple of hours. He took the opportunity not to spend all of his time meeting with flood victims and comforting them. He wanted to meet with the mother of the black man who had been shot by the police officers weeks before. He wanted to comfort her and let her know that he stands with Black Lives Matter. And obviously that's where Hillary is, let people know she stands. Hillary refused to even try to get the endorsement of the biggest police union in the country. She wouldn't even fill out the form asking for the endorsement. Why? Because she wants to get the vote of Black Lives Matter. That's who she wants the endorsement of. The fact that they call for the murder of police officers in some cases, that's okay. That's okay with Hillary. That fits the liberal political agenda of divide and conquer. Thank God that this country still has people like those in Louisiana who are willing to stand up for themselves. I mean, basically, you had Louisiana officials telling the people that stop surviving a flood without our permission. I think the people of this country are about ready to tell the federal government and many of the state and local governments to go to hell. We don't need your permission anymore. We're going to do what we need to do to protect ourselves and our families. And we're going to do what we need to do to survive. That's where we're going in this country. People are turning away from the government because they don't trust the government. They see what happens in situations like this where the government doesn't come through. And by the way, what is the the, mo- the charity that's most sponsored by the, the federal government and most pushed by the federal government and receives federal funds? The American Red Cross. And that's why it is adhering to the political correctness. That's a heck of a time for, to enforce political correctness when people are suffering, when people are dying. And that's all the Red Cross could think about. Number one, being politically correct. And number two, how can we make money off of this? I will never donate money to the American Red Cross. If you want to help flood the victims of Louisiana, you can donate to the Baton Rouge Foundation, or you can go to Samaritan's Purse, which is a Franklin Graham-run foundation. I've heard that they are doing remarkable work down there. And their people don't get paid high salaries. They don't charge anybody for anything. They come in and they help in any way they can with whatever is needed. That's not what the American Red Cross has done. That's not what they have ever done. Except right after they were founded. And then the 
bureaucrats, professional bureaucrats, and the politicians took over. And now we have what to me is a corrupt organization. I posted this on my Facebook page. I was furious when I wrote the article, and I misspelled some things, and I apologize for that. But I let people know what was going on, and the responses I got were overwhelming. People telling their own horror stories about the American Red Cross. So let's take our second break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Now, another thing I want to talk about today is uh, something that I have been predicting for several years, and sometimes I hate it when I'm right. But, you know, I started talking three years ago about the uh, what was being done to our veterans and how they were losing their Second Amendment rights through surreptitious moves by the VA and the FBI and uh, putting veterans on the list of people that cannot legally purchase firearms under the category of being mentally ill or being in danger themselves or others. And they were notified that this was going to happen by the VA, but due to the fact that the VA wanted to declare veterans incompetent to handle their own financial affairs, appoint a fiduciary to handle their affairs. The incompetence could be based on physical and mental disabilities, according, and this is in writing from the VA, and veterans were being put on this list, declared incompetent because of minor PTSD, because of having minor depression, because of allowing their spouses to pay the family bills, or because, and I've got this in writing too, because I'm representing a couple of veterans 
this happened to, they're put on the NICS list, National Instant Criminal Background Checklist, and declared mentally incompetent due to the fact that they allow their bill to bank or they have the bank pay their bills automatically every month out of their checking account. I talked about this. We've been fighting this for several years on behalf of individual veterans, uh, handling appeals for them, and uh, more and more veterans are coming in all the time to talk about this. I predicted it was going to start happening next to Social Security recipients. That started about six months ago, and they're doing the same thing to Social Security recipients. They say you're incompetent to handle your own finances if you have a third-party payee, which means if you have your check, Social Security check deposited in your bank, and then the bank pays your bills automatically out of that check, you're therefore mentally incompetent to handle your own financial affairs and mentally defective to the point of being endangered yourself or others, and you get put on the next list and can cannot purchase firearms or own firearms or transport firearms. I also started predicting that there were going to be more and more actions by Obama using executive orders, more and more actions to do away with the Second Amendment, to disarm the American people, and to enforce the U.N. Small Arms Treaty. Now, the U.N. Small Arms Treaty was signed over a year ago by John Kerry, who signed it on behalf of Obama. It is, without question, a treaty. It says it's a treaty. It's called a treaty. So under the Constitution of the United States, Obama is required by the Constitution to not implement or in any way enforce that treaty until it is submitted to the United States Senate for ratifications and, in fact, is ratified by two-thirds majority of the Senate. Obama has never submitted it to the U.S. Senate. He knows it will never be ratified. He knows it would not even get a majority vote in the Senate, much less two-thirds. But he's implementing the treaty anyway. One of the things that I've been warning about for several years is that when you go to a licensed federal firearms dealer, and this is what the vast majority of people do, criminals don't, they go buy their guns on the black market, or they steal them. But the vast majority of Americans go to a licensed firearm dealer and they fill out the form for the background check. And then that form is faxed or emailed by the dealer to the FBI, where it's compared against the National Instant Criminal Background Checklist. And if you are, have been convicted of a felon, or if you are a known drug abuser, or if you have been adjudicated, supposedly, by a court to be mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others, then you cannot legally purchase a firearm. If you are not on that list, then you can legally purchase. But either way, federal law requires that that form and all the pertinent information that's on there, like your name, address, social security number, and even the firearm you're, you're attempting to purchase, all of that information on that form has got to be destroyed within 72 hours. 
This is not optional. It's a requirement of federal law, and it's supposed to be destroyed by the gun dealer, where the form originated, and by the FBI. And again, this is this is not optional. This is something that is required by the law. I said a few years ago that I was convinced that the FBI was not destroying those records. The dealers are, but the FBI is compiling those records, and they're doing it because Obama wants to comply with the provision of the U.N. Small Arms Treaty that requires that each signing state or country provide a list of all of the firearms owners in the country, including their names and addresses and the type of firearm they own. He is doing that. And this has been confirmed by numerous sources at this point (laughs) that he is having the FBI surreptitiously collect this data and he is either going to give it or already has in some cases given it to the United Nations. So if you've purchased a firearm legally in this country in the last few years, not only does the federal government know about it, but so does the United Nations. Something else that the treaty requires is gun manufacturers be registered with the federal government and it'd be learned if they are selling firearms to other countries or to individuals in other countries. Well, Obama decided to implement that portion of the treaty also, despite the fact that it has never been ratified by the United States Senate. And he's taken it a step further. He is not just going after gun manufacturers. He has declared by executive order that gunsmiths are, in fact, gun manufacturers under the terms of the U.N. Small Arms Treaty. And therefore, gun manufacturers have to pay a lot of fees and get a lot of licenses. Gunsmiths now have to do the same. Most gunsmiths are mom-and-pop operations. They operate out of a small storefront or they operate out of their garage. They repair firearms for people. They don't manufacture firearms for the most part. They repair firearms. If they do manufacture firearms, they do it for sale to local individuals. They don't export these to other countries. But now Obama has thrown them all in the same umbrella. He's going to charge them fees that 99.9% of them cannot afford to pay. So he's going to put them out of business. Uh, excuse me, I'm fighting allergies today. So people are going to have a tough time finding someone who can repair their firearms now if something happens. And you need work done on it. So Obama is again stepping in and enforcing a treaty that he cannot legally enforce and doing it by executive order, which you cannot legally and constitutionally do. 
Now, just in the last 48 hours, I have learned that something new is coming down the pike. Actually, it's not that new. It's just how they're doing it is new. Remember right after Obama took office, there was suddenly this huge shortage of ammunition for firearms in this country? A lot of ammunition for a particular type of weapons you just flat couldn't find. The manufacturers couldn't keep up with the demand because there was a big demand for it because everyone was afraid Obama was going to start imposing gun control, which he did. But more than that, the federal government was buying up enormous amounts of this ammunition. The supply to places like the Social Security Administration, to the Bureau of Land Management, Bureau of Land Management, they're supposed to regulate federal lands. Why do they need SWAT teams to do that? That's another question for another day. And by the way, I'm going to have John Trudell on the show sometime in the next couple of weeks, uh, sometime during this September once we can get the date set, and he's going to update us on what Victoria Taft call, talked about last week, but more so he's going to update us on, us on the situation in Oregon where we have Americans like Ryan Bundy awaiting trial in what is obviously a rigged situation. They're awaiting trial on trumped-up charges by the federal and state government. And we'll be talking about that. But remember, Ryan Bundy's family was originally the one under siege by the Bureau of Land Management and their SWAT teams surrounding the house of some peaceful ranchers. So we had a lot of ammunition being bought up by the federal government and restrictions being put on the manufacture of certain types of ammunition. Now, the ammunition, most of it is recovered. You can now go out and buy most of what you need, although 22 caliber ammunition is still in short supply. It's still very, fairly hard to find. And, of course, the prices of ammunition went up. Guess what? Get ready for a new assault on ammunition. And this one could be fatal to the industry and to American gun owners. Obama has ordered the ATF to issue new rules and regulations regarding the key ingredient in ammunition. That is a compound called nitrocellulose. That is a compound that is used to create smokeless black powder. That's what is used in all of our ammunition manufactured in this country. The ATF is now relabeling that ammunition to make it, or that, that compound, to make it disappear. Let's take our final break now. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, 
the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. So this key ingredient to making ammunition, and we're talking about all ammunition here, all of it requires this compound. ATF is now classifying this as a high explosive, making it illegal for people to own and illegal to be transported. Now, that means that manufacturers of ammunition are not going to be able to get it. Obviously, it's an agreement in in gunpowder. So eventually, it is designed to explode. But when it's transported and stored by ammunition manufacturers, they mix it with water, which totally neutralizes any, any possible problems not necessarily with explosions, but with it catching fire. And then they dry it out when they need it to put the ammunition. If they do not have this ingredient, and this new federal regulation will virtually eliminate its availability, if they do not have it, they cannot make ammunition. You think we had a shortage of ammunition before, it's going to virtually disappear. And what is available is going to be so highly priced that most people cannot afford it. So Obama is going through with his pledge to disarm the American people. And Hillary Clinton is fully in support of what Obama's doing, and she wants to take it even further. Hillary Clinton has, while telling people and having her campaign tell people, she fully supports the Second Amendment. She has made statements, public statements, saying that she wants to destroy the NRA, put it out of business, as she put it, and wants to eliminate the private ownership of all handguns in this country. And by that, of course, she means the private ownership of all handguns by honest American citizens. She's not got any plans out there to disarm gangs, to disarm the people who are killing people throughout Chicago on a daily basis. But 
hey, she's not going to do that because that's part of her constituency. That's the Black Lives Matter type people. But she's going to disarm the rest of us. And she's publicly stated that, that. And more importantly than anything else, if she is elected president of the United States, she will appoint Supreme Court justices who do not believe in the Second Amendment, who do not believe in the Constitution at all, who believe that they can make any decision they want to impose their personal political agenda, the political agenda of the career criminal enterprise called the Democratic Party. They can appoint justices who will impose that agenda on us. And they will not only knock out the Second Amendment, they will knock out the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment. They'll do it all. They're just going to destroy the Constitution. This is what they're vowing to do. And I'm writing a new article right now that will be posted tonight or tomorrow in which I talk about everything I've just said about what's happening with the Second Amendment in this country. And what will continue to happen if Hillary Clinton is elected president. You're going to be able to access it at Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot Jigsy dot com, J-I-G-S-Y dot com. You can also go to the homepage on America's Web Radio of the show, Our Constitution, and find the link to my blog there. Please Look for it, look for this article, and get it out to everybody in this country. Send it to all your email buddies. Post it on Facebook. Most people do not realize all this has been happening because it's being done below the radar. And the national news media is not reporting on it. Even Fox News doesn't seem to be up to date on what's happening with the Second Amendment. So it's going to be up to us to let people know that not just the Second Amendment, and I talk in an article about what the Second Amendment is really for, and it has nothing to do with duck hunting. The Second Amendment was to protect the American people from being subjected to tyranny again so they would have the wherewithal to defend themselves. That's what it was all about. That's why it was put in the Constitution. So get this article out to everyone. Get them to read it. I'll be posting it on my Facebook page when it's done, and I'll be posting it on my blog. So you can access it either way. Or you can email me at mrobertc, letter M, Robert, R-B-R-T-C, Robert C. for Connolly, mrobertc at hotmail.com. And I'll send you a copy of the article that you can do, use as you see fit. Because this is important, folks. This is the future of our country. And by the way, my new novel, The Rag, which deals with, you know, was written basically dealing with what would happen if the events I'm talking about now do in fact occur, and they are occurring. What would happen to the constitutional republic that we live in and cherish 
how it would be destroyed and how Americans would hopefully rise up to fight back. The book continues to see rave, receive rave reviews. You can order a copy through my website. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Virtually any online bookseller has copies of it. And I have just been told by the publisher that it will be available as an e-book hopefully by the end of next week. I know a lot of you out there are into Kindle or into book nook by no, books by Barnes & Noble and are waiting for this book to come out as an e-book to order it. It will be up and available. Like I said, the publisher hopes to have it up and available by the end of next week. So keep an eye out for that. I'll be doing, uh, I'll send it out on my Twitter account and post it on my Facebook account when it actually occurs. Buy a copy of the book, please. Read it. Go on Amazon or Barnes and & Noble and rate it. But the important thing is, is to get other people to read the book. Because people that are reading it are going, oh my God, this is what's happening today. The read the reviews on Amazon. The media reviews and personal reviews have come out. One by John Trudell, the famous author, who basically compares the book to one written by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian patriot who fought communism. We live in scary times. And I point out how scary those times are in that book. And I try to do it on my blog, and I try to do it with this radio show. So please continue to listen and continue to support us. Continue to support the United States Justice Foundation. We have a whole lot of issues we're working on right now, constitutional issues, preparing briefs on Second Amendment cases, First Amendment cases, uh, Fourth Amendment cases, protecting our constitutional rights. We have a very small staff. We have, we're not a big organization, but money we spend, 90% of it goes to fund our projects, and those projects include filing sometimes two or three briefs a week in courts of appeal to the Supreme Court, and also defending our veterans on an individual basis and working with members of state legislatures to try to improve laws that defend the freedoms in this country. And, by the way, something is going to be happening soon in Texas that we're working on right now uh, that uh, I'll be releasing information on, get it done. And that's going to be an interstate border compact that we have prepared that will help protect people in the border states as well as the rest of the country. So get your friends to listen in. The show is broadcast, as you know, if you're listening today, at 3 o'clock Central Time on Wednesdays. We broadcast live. And by the way, another, some, I have somebody else coming on the show in the next month or so, and that is Larry Pratt, who is head of Gun Owners of America, and is an old and dear friend of mine. And we'll be talking more about the Second Amendment issues that I touched on today. To get people to tune into the show, they miss it live on Wednesday. It's always archived within a day or two. And they can go to the website, America's Web Radio, and they can 
access the show and listen to it anytime they want to. Get the word out, ladies and gentlemen. If you have questions for me, if you have comments about the show, if you have suggestions, again, go to my website, www.michaelconnelly.jigsy.com, and you can find out how to access me, how to contact me through that website, through my email. Thank you for having me on today, and please donate to help the people of Louisiana. We're suffering right now and are going to continue to suffer for a long time. Talk to you next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.